good morning, City Light. We are going to wrap up Jesus' Sermon on the Mount today. I don't know about you, it's been a fun series for me because I feel like what Jesus has said has tapped into parts of my heart that just haven't been tapped into for a while, and so it's been good. And one thing I've noticed as we've read through the Sermon on the Mount is that it is an incredibly well-structured speech. Anybody else notice that? Has anybody taken a speech class or a public speaking class ever or you were forced to? I know most people like dread that class. Uh, They're like, you know what, I might go to college and I'll just take every class I need to except for that one and drop out, you know? I guess fear of public speaking is one of the most common fears in humanity. It beats out fear of heights and spiders and even fear of death. Like three quarters of people have this fear. So I don't know if it makes me unique or weird, but I love speech class. I was like, really? You're telling me I just have to get up and talk to people while everyone else listens? Easy A, right? That's an easy class. I can't wait for that. But then when I took it, I realized it's not just about getting up and talking to people. They want to teach you how to talk to people so you can have an impact and they can remember what you said. My high school speech teacher was Mrs. Williams, and she was that sort of strict old school, proper as the queen kind of person. And she said that every good speech has the same basic outline. I remember it still. She said, here it is, uh, tell them what you're going to tell them, then tell them, and then tell them what you told them. And I remember that because it's definitely not proper English, but all the apostrophes were in the right place, right? That's how she worked. Uh, And so I don't know if... uh, I don't know if Jesus took Mrs. Williams' speech class. She might have been teaching when he was walking the earth. Uh, I don't know. But he he followed her outline of a good speech. Her point was, man, a good speech, you're going to tell people what journey you're going to take them on. And then you're going to walk that path with them. And at the end, you're going to draw conclusions about where you've come from. You're going to reflect on that a little bit. Jesus does that. He tells us where he's taking us. He takes us down the path, and then at the very end, where we are today, he kind of reflects on that. He closes it. And so I want to just walk through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount one more time, a quick little recap, and then we're going to look at the very end together. All right, that's where we're headed. I'm going to try to tell you what I'm going to tell you and use this uh, Mrs. Williams outline. So here's where we're going to start. At the very beginning, before Jesus even started talking, Matthew tells us what he was doing. He said this, And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So what was Jesus doing? He was proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Now, gospel is a Bible word that simply means good news. And so Jesus was going around telling everybody there's a new kingdom that's coming and it is good news. And that's how he started his sermon. If you remember back at the beginning, he starts his sermon saying, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. People in his kingdom are blessed. They're happy, and it's everybody. He said, in my kingdom, blessed are uh, the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, the pure, the peacemakers, the persecuted. This is a kingdom where blessing and happiness are abound. 
He said the new kingdom that's coming, it's going to be like salt to a flavorless earth. It's going to be like light to a dark world. It is going to stand out in all the best of ways. This kingdom is good news. And then he gives us an invitation into it. Right right away, this is what I'm doing. I'm announcing a coming kingdom, and I'm inviting you to be a part of it. This is what he said. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, what Jesus is doing in that invitation, he's making it clear. He did not come to undermine what God said in the Old Testament, God's commands. That's what he means by the law and the prophets. Instead, Jesus came to fulfill those commands himself. So he's saying that the law and the prophets, what God has always done what he's said from the beginning this invitation to his people to be part of his uh, plan Jesus isn't abolishing that he's fulfilling it he's doing it so the law and the prophets matter to Jesus righteousness and obedience matter to Jesus and because they matter to him He's saying they should matter to us. In fact, our entrance into this good news kingdom that he's bringing into the world depends on fulfilling the law and the prophets, right? That's how he's starting out. He's talking about what it takes to get into the kingdom of God and experience his happiness and blessing. That's the tell him what you're going to tell him part. That's how he starts. So then he goes on and he actually tells us then what does it look like what must be done how do we be part of fulfilling law and the prophets how do we get there how does our righteousness exceed that of the best rule followers of the day the scribes and the pharisees so this is what he's going to do first he's going to quote or semi kind of paraphrase some old testament rules that these scribes and pharisees like to brag about following He's going to say, you've heard it said, and then he's going to say, but I say to you. He's going to like fulfill that. So he's going to tell us about a law, and then he's going to reveal the heart of that law, okay? Uh, you've heard it said, but I say. So let me give you a couple examples what Jesus said. First, you have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. You've heard it said, but I say, right? Let me give you one more. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying there are people out there who think that they are following the letter of the law, the law and the prophets, but they have never understood the intent of the law, the heart of the law. See, murder isn't just ending somebody's life physically on this earth. Jesus is saying that you murder somebody in your heart when you harbor anger against them and you allow that to grow and take root. You're literally killing them in your heart. He says that adultery, that's not just a physical act. It's a matter of lust in your heart, right? 
With examples like these, Jesus highlights over and over again that being right with God is a matter of the heart. It isn't about conforming your behavior to a set of laws. It's about transforming your heart with a new kind of love. I say that again. This is what Jesus is getting at. We've got to exceed the scribes and Pharisees. How do we do that? In Jesus' kingdom, it's not about conforming your behavior to a set of laws. It's about having your heart transformed by a new kind of love. It's when your heart is transformed, that's how our righteousness exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. That's what Jesus' kingdom offers, and that's good news. That's the tell them part. That's the meat of the sermon, right? And then tell them what you told them, right? Recap. The, uh, Jesus closes with the law and the prophets. He wraps it up on the same path he's been on the whole time. Here it is. Look for it in the golden rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. You ever noticed that ending to the golden rule before, right? When I learned it growing up, it was uh, treat others the way you want to be treated. Or the way my grandparents' generation said it, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So we've all heard this rule before, but Jesus says that it's not just a rule to teach kids how to be kind to one another. He says the golden rule is the law and the prophets. It's the summary, it's the heart, it's the intent of God's commands in the Old Testament. He's saying it is the heart of the Mosaic law and the prophetic proclamations that God spoke to his people. All this talk about fulfilling the law and the prophets and getting into Jesus' kingdom, it's the point of the whole sermon. It's the beginning and the middle and the end. He doesn't stray from it. This is the Sermon on the Mount. And so that brings us to our verses today, right? Following the golden rule, Jesus begins the closing, the wrap it up of the sermon. And so the rest of it is a string of pictures that show us that the heart of the law and the prophets is concerned with the hearts of people. He just wants to show us, man, it's not about what's on the outside, it's about what's on the inside. He's going to give us three pictures. Uh, so look at what he says. The first picture is, people, is addressed to people who think they can just look the part, okay? He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He, sa he says, look, a wolf that's dressed up like a sheep is still a wolf, right? Like, you can dress up however you want, but if you're a wolf, looking like a sheep doesn't change the fact that you're a wolf, so looking right on the outside isn't what it's about. It doesn't get you in. In Jesus' kingdom, what's on the inside matters. So he starts off addressing people who just want to look the part. Then he goes on. And the second people he talks to are people who just want to sound the part. They think they can talk the talk, and that'll do it. This is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So he's saying, hey, sitting in church and calling Jesus Lord and then walking out these doors and living the rest of your life like you are your own Lord, 
That doesn't do it. Just knowing how to talk the talk and use the right language is not what it's about. Speaking the right words to the outside world doesn't get you in. In Jesus' kingdom, it's what's on the inside that matters. So it's not about looking the right way or sounding the right way. And he gives us one more. Jesus talks to people who hear his words but never actually do them or unchanged by them. That's what he says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. So hearing Jesus' words is good, but what he says here is that hearing his words without honoring him enough to let those words transform your heart and your actions, that's foolish. Hearing alone doesn't get you in, in Jesus' kingdom, it's what those words do on the inside of you that matters, right? So looking right, sounding right, sitting through some sermons, that's not a checklist on the ticket to get to heaven. It just doesn't get you there. It's not how you get right with God. But there were people in Jesus' day who thought that's what you were supposed to do. They spent a lot of time trying to uh, look the right way and act the right way and say the right things and build up a bunch of knowledge. They put a lot of effort in to looking the part. And friends, I think if we're honest, that's not just a situation that those people dealt with back then, right? If we can be honest with each other, I think we actually can be pretty good at doing the same thing right now, today. We try to look the part, sound the part. For instance, I used to work for a Dodge dealership. And in those days, the Dodge slogan was grab life by the horns. You remember those, the big, the big ram on the front? And uh, so my Dodge dealership would sponsor the Sydney, Iowa rodeo every year. And there was one guy that I worked with who, when the rodeo came around, he went all out cowboy uh, for the event. And so we would walk down, or we'd get down to Sydney, and he would have the big cowboy hat, the big old belt buckle, the tight jeans, the cowboy boots. He'd even wear those shirts that have those pearly snaps instead of real buttons, you know? And he'd walk around. He learned all the lingo. He'd even talk with a little bit of a country southern twangy drawl, you know? And when he walked around the arena, you would have actually thought that he might be a cowboy. But if you had thought that, you would have been wrong because he spent all his time sitting on a recliner, not on a bull, right? Anybody that really knew him, that could see past what was on the outside, they knew that that wasn't real. It was just surface level. That wasn't who he was. It was just what was on the outside. It was a facade. Anybody that could see through him knew. And he's a city boy. What was on the outside did not match what was on the inside. And friends, I think that's what Jesus is getting at as he closes the Sermon on the Mount. Looking the part, talking the part, hearing what the announcer says over the loudspeaker because you're in the arena, none of that makes you a cowboy. And looking the part and talking the part and hearing some sermons because you sit in the crowd, none of that gets you into the kingdom. Jesus is getting real right now, right? Like, this isn't a message for somebody else. This is like, he's talking to us. This isn't positive, encouraging K-love today. It's like going deep, right? In Jesus' kingdom, it's what's on the inside that matters. And it leaves us with the question, how then do we get to what's on the inside? How do we dig deep and actually get there? 
how do we do what Jesus is talking about? Well, let's look at Jesus' final picture of life in his kingdom in this closing illustration. He's going uh, to talk to his hearers and compare them to builders of houses. And he says there are two types, okay? Um, the first type uh, is the one who builds his house on a rock. This is his words. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And so Jesus starts out, and he says, there are some people who are going to hear what I say and actually do it. And those people are wise. Just like building a house on a rock is wise because it gives a solid foundation, building your life on obedience to the rock, Jesus Christ, is wise because it gives you a solid foundation. That's not the only type of people there are. There's another type. He goes on and says this. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. He said, man, there are people who are going to hear my words and not do them, not take them to heart, not respond, and that's foolish. It'd be like building your house on sand with no foundation. What's interesting to me is that the contrast is not about hearing. Catch that? Both the wise and the foolish hear. The contrast is about your response. See, the the wise man is a doer. He hears, he processes, he wrestles, he responds in obedience. He digs deep. What he hears, he does. The foolish man is the opposite. He hears and is unchanged. He just continues on his own way according to his own plan, whether he ignores or disagrees with or outright rejects what Jesus says, we don't know. But what we do know is he hears and does not do. So let's talk about this foolish man for a minute. He, his foundation was the sand. And we all know sand is insecure, it's loose, it's shifty. And he built his house on that sand. That's a bad idea. But when we think about sand, I think most of us are going to think sandy beaches like uh, in Florida or California or Mexico, all right? And that sand is clearly loose and shifty. You'd have to be, you know, pretty naive to build a house on that. So let's not think about that kind of sand. Jesus is preaching in a place called Galilee. And in Galilee, there was a sea aptly named the Sea of Galilee, okay? And around that sea, there's sand. And in the summer sun, in the heat of Galilee in Israel, that sand would bake until it was hard. And anybody that did not know what they were looking at would walk out onto that sand and it would feel like a rock, And you wouldn't be wrong to presume, if you did not know any better, this might be a really good place to build a house. And so if you built your house on what felt like solid ground right there, eventually that hot sun 
uh, the season would change, and instead of the hot sun, winds and rains and floods would come, and you know what would happen to that seemingly solid ground? It would get wet, and it would get loose, and the nature of that ground, the fact that it was sand, would be revealed, and it would shift, and any house built on that sand would fall. Here's what I think Jesus is getting at. Some of us hear Jesus' words, but we still try to do things on our own. Don't build on the sand, got you Jesus, but this place looks pretty good. Not going to check it out, just going to build there. For example, you might hear that Jesus said lust is sin. And so we determine we're not going to touch any other person inappropriately. We're not going to be the kind of person that makes dirty or inappropriate comments. We're going to clean up the outside, but we never really take the step of doing business on the inside. Lustful thoughts still run freely through your mind. Images still scroll freely down your screen. And friends, that is building your house on the sand. When the storms come, a house built on that kind of a foundation is going to crash down. Because that shifty sort of life undermines relationships with people of the opposite sex. It certainly can't support a serious relationship like a marriage. The outside might look okay, but the house will fall when the storms come. And that's not the only example. Jesus is saying that we do the same sort of thing with anger and money and loving your enemies and anxiety and judging other people, and the list goes on and on. Jesus is saying that, man, if you clean up the outside without addressing what's on the inside, it's like building your house on shifting sand. And we do it. The warning is not just for someone else somewhere else. Friends, it's for you and me. The message is that the foundation of the house, it may be underground, it may be unseen, you may have to dig deep to get to it, but what's on the inside matters. And in the same way, friends, our hearts may be on the inside. They may be underground, we may have to dig deep to get there, but what is on the inside matters. And so the Bible, it has something to say about what's on the inside. It talks to us about this. It says that we're all sinners by nature. What's on the inside of us is twisted and marred and broken by sin. And because that's who we are by nature, the inside of each of us is loose and shifty and insecure, just like sand. It means on our own, we can never build a house that will stand. We can never build a life on anything that is secure, that will last. And friends, that is why the gospel good news of the kingdom of Jesus is good news for people like you and me. It's because I think if we're honest with, the, with ourselves, we know that what we build on, if it's just us, it's shifty. We long for something secure, something that will last. And Jesus' gospel good news of the kingdom gives us hope because he says, wise men that listen to his words and do what he says, it's like building your house on a rock. And friends, the builders in Galilee, the ones who knew what they were doing, what they were looking at, who'd heard other people teach them about what the land was like, they would look at the sand around the Sea of Galilee and they say, oh, that's hard right now. 
But it's not going to be hard always. It's kind of shifty. It's misleading. If I'm going to build a house, I'm going to do the hard work. I've got to dig deep several feet below until the sand is cleared and I build that house on a rock. When you hit the rock, that's where you want your foundation because the storms will come and they will beat on the outside, but you know what they can't touch? The rock deep down underground. That's where you want your house rooted. That's what wise people do. Those builders dug deep, found the rock, and it made all the difference. And so, What does that look like for us? How do we dig deep? What does it look like for us to build our lives on the rock of Jesus Christ? Friends, I think in light of all that Jesus has said in the Sermon on the Mount, digging deep means we're never satisfied, simply conforming our behavior to a set of laws. That is empty religion. Digging deep means we are never satisfied or content simply conforming our behavior to a set of rules or laws. That's not what Jesus' kingdom is about. That is empty religion. Instead, we ask God to transform our hearts by his love. Or to make it really personal today, you ask God to transform your heart by his love. Listen, here's what it looks like. You take these words that Jesus preached to thousands, that people have read in the countless millions, that people have heard, just like they're hearing today by the millions, and you say those words have been spoken and preached and read by all kinds of people, but when Jesus spoke them, he was speaking to me. You take what was spoken to the many, and you hear it for the one. It isn't theory, it's personal. And that means you start dealing with the sin in your heart. It means we don't just have an understanding of what sin is, we actually start fighting that sin in our lives. What that means is you might actually tell somebody in your city group or your huddle or on your serving team or somebody sitting next to you this morning, hey, I got some sin in my heart that I need to deal with. And I've been cleaning up the outside, but it hasn't touched the inside yet, and I need some help. It might look like you share that sin so that you can fight it together and put it to death. What getting on the inside looks, getting to the inside, it looks like literally turning away from your sin and toward Jesus Christ. It looks like your heart doing about an about face so that what you love deepest and desire most turns from your sin all the way around to your Savior. There is a literal change in the passion and love and desire of your heart. For you, Uh, It isn't about being a good Christian or learning what good Christians do anymore. It's about your heart desiring Jesus, connecting with Jesus, living with and for Jesus. For the follower of Jesus, our story isn't trying to stop doing bad things so that we can become the best version of ourselves. Because at some point we have to admit that even the best version of ourselves is like a shack built on shifting sand. It is not going to stand. 
right? We need something more than that. And so for the, the story of a follower of Jesus, rather than I'm going to clean up myself on the outside, we say that didn't work, but I heard about a foundation that couldn't be shaken, that wasn't as shifty as what I was. We heard about a foundation, and his name is Jesus Christ. He loved me and found me and saved me when I was nothing but a broken mess. He didn't just clean me up and make me a nicer house on the sand. He gave me a foundation. We found Jesus not to just be a car wash, but to be a rock beneath the sand. He is the foundation. And when the storms of life come, it may beat on me, but I'm standing on a rock that cannot be shaken. Because I believe in Jesus, I got a new house. And it will not fall because he keeps me up. Jesus has made me a new person. I've been made new. It's all because of Jesus. I got a new story, friends, and Jesus worked it in me. In the kingdom of heaven, friends, Jesus is the king. It's what it's about. He works us new on the inside. This is not about following a different set of rules. It's about finding a new kind of love, and that love is in Jesus Christ. And so, friends, my question today is, where are you building your house? Is Jesus your rock? Are you a hearer only, or are you a hearer and a doer? Where are you building your house? The crowds who heard Jesus preach this sermon for the first time, they realized something as Jesus spoke. He wasn't just giving them some good advice, right? Jesus was not casual about the kingdom he was proclaiming. He got real. He got serious. Look at how his first hearers responded once he finished speaking. That's what Matthew says. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The crowds who heard Jesus speak were astonished because this was an uneducated, blue-collar guy from the backwoods talking to them, but he was speaking with authority. And they didn't know how to respond, but they knew they needed to respond. You ever experienced that when somebody speaks with authority that you just didn't expect? Like about a week and a half ago, my daughter came running into the room to Sarah and I, screaming and clutching her arm. And we knew that she was in a lot of pain, but listen, my daughter's a redhead and drama is her jam. So you just never, you never know how bad it really is. And so uh, she wasn't letting up on the thing. So I called my brother who knows some things and said, hey, how do I know if I need to take her to the doctor or not? I explained the situation. He thought about it. He said, you know what? In this case, I think you just got to go by pain level. So I said, okay. So I turned to Bryn, my daughter, and I'm like, honey, this is serious. I need a real answer. I need to know the pain level because that's going to help me know if I got to take you to the doctor or not. Without hesitation, she looks at me and yells, my pain level is infinity. Take me to the doctor now. (laughs) I was shocked and astonished in that moment because my seven-year-old girl who had never had any real authority over anything spoke with authority in that moment, right? And I had to respond. So I scooped her up and I took her to the doctor and sure enough, her little arm was broken and it's now in a cast, right? She spoke with authority that demanded a response. And I had to respond. And friends, Jesus spoke the same way, right? (laughs) 
That, that landed in a different way than I expected, okay? <laughs> she spoke with authority and I had to respond. And that's exactly what happened to the people who heard Jesus speaking this sermon the first time. He spoke with an authority and they had to respond. So there are people who say Jesus was just a good teacher. He was just another guy. He, uh, he's somebody, we should follow his teachings, but the church has added all this stuff. He wasn't really God. He's just a good guy, right? There are all kinds of people who say all kinds of things about Jesus and say this is just good advice. But the people who heard Jesus speaking knew that was not the case. They were astonished that he was speaking with authority. Why would he speak with authority like that? How could he speak with authority like that? Friends, it's because in the kingdom of Jesus, Jesus is the king. Make no mistake, the invitation for you to be a part of the kingdom of God does not come from just some simple teacher, some backwoods, blue-collar country carpenter. It comes from the king of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who will sit on the throne of David that God promised in the Old Testament, now and forever, Jesus is the king. And so friends, when we, when we hear Jesus' sermon on the mount, we gotta respond. How are you gonna respond to Jesus the king? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus the King is inviting you into his kingdom. How will the law and the prophets be fulfilled? By Jesus Christ. How will our righteousness exceed the scribes and the Pharisees? It's when Jesus Christ lives in us. How do we find the narrow way? We follow Jesus Christ. How will you withstand the storms of this life? When Jesus is your rock and foundation. How are you made new from the inside out? It's when Jesus Christ lives in you. How do you get to experience life in the kingdom? You call Jesus your king. Friends, it is all about Jesus. And Jesus' call today is a call to hear and to do. It's a call to not just listen and go on your way. It's a call to listen and be changed from the inside out. And so friends, today, again, you've heard Jesus' good news. And I want to ask you, how will you respond? Let's not be a people who respond unchanged. But let's follow Jesus the King now and always. I want to pray today. And as we pray, I want to give you an opportunity to respond to Jesus the King. So would you pray with me? Oh, King Jesus, I thank you that you didn't take casually matters of the kingdom. I thank you that you didn't, you didn't send an invitation to your kingdom by the mail or send it in an email and hope we checked it and got it. But you sent your son to come and, and preach it to us, to live it and show us, to accomplish it for us on the cross. God, today, I want to pray for our church, for myself. God, I think we are prone to be people that hear but do not do. We're people who, like the Pharisees, the religious rule followers of the day, it's easy to become content with cleaning up what's on the outside but not actually ever doing business with what's on the inside. Jesus, the good news of the kingdom is that you're not satisfied to leave us there. You don't want us to stay there. You want to enter in and you want to clean us and change us from the inside out. You want to transform us. You've got a love that runs deep. And so Jesus, I pray today you would call people out of that life lived on their own, of the house built on shifting sand into a life that digs deep in the inside of the heart 
so our foundation can be built on the rock. God, I pray today that to do that, there be people who take steps of confessing sin that they have been terrified to confess. There are people who take steps to set down the baggage that they've carried at the foot of the cross and say, Jesus, I don't know how to carry this anymore. I need you to take it from me and make me new. God, I don't know what those things are. I'm asking, would you send your spirit even now to work in the hearts of the people in this room Don't think this is for somebody else, somewhere else. God, I'm asking right now that you would work in people's hearts right here to do the work that only you can do to change us from the inside out. God, there's no kingdom like yours. There's no other kingdom that gives light where there's only darkness. There's no other kingdom that gives flavor to a life that was only bland. God, do it in us today. Confess your sin repent, turn from it to Jesus. He can save if he wants to. And God, I I think there are people in this room um, who hear this story and they think really the options between following Jesus and doing it our own way, it's like drinking our coffee black or getting a caramel latte. Like you still get to do it, it's just maybe one's a little better than the other. Jesus, your words about the house built on the sand You said when the storms came, they beat on it and it fell and great was the fall of it. That original word is megas. It was a mega fall. And Jesus, what you were tapping into there, we need to hear. It's not just that your life here on this earth crashes down without Jesus. It's your eternity. The mega fall you don't follow Jesus is that you are separated from him now but forever God for people here who never reckoned with eternity or maybe who are reckoning with it right now saying I don't know where I'm going to spend forever I don't know if it's going to be with the God who created me or without him God I pray today that the, the great fall of the house built on sand would hit home. Jesus, your kingdom is an everlasting, eternal kingdom. And I pray today that for somebody who's never bowed the knee to King Jesus, who's never said, Jesus, I want to enter your kingdom and I want you to be my king. Jesus, would you call him to that today? If that's you, you can pray today. Jesus, I have been a bad king over my own life. My foundation has been shifting sand and I already feel like my house has fallen I do not want it to be a great fall for eternity. I need a solid foundation. Jesus, would you be my king? If you pray that prayer, Jesus is ready to open the gate. The gates are open to his kingdom. He wants you to come in. The invitation is for you right here, right now. Pray that prayer and you can be part of his kingdom forever. Blessed, happy, light, flavor, now, forever. Jesus, I thank you. You, the king, came as a humble servant so that you could save us from our sin. We'll celebrate that now and forever. God, we give you all the glory and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.